Hello, White Sox fans, and welcome into another Sunday fun day edition of Sox on Tap. It's Tony Marchese alongside NWI Steve. Boy, did the White Sox score a lot of runs today, Steve. That's got to make you happy. I definitely did enjoy that, Anthony. Um, you know, scoring runs is hashtag cool and tough. You know, we do like to see that sort of thing. Um, so that was a nice little uh, little way to spend the Sunday afternoon there. Sort of a stress-free ball game, and we'll break it down. We'll break down uh, some of the uh, the rest of the happenings in, in White Sox land this weekend. But before we do, be sure you're going to ontapsportsnet.com for all of your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. Be sure you're following the show on Twitter, at Sox on Tap. And subscribe to the ONTAP Sportsnet YouTube. That's youtube.com slash ONTAP Sportsnet. Hit that subscribe button so you know when we go live. Hop in the comments, interact with us along the ride that we are on here. That's the 2023 Chicago White Sox season. Steve, today's ball game, rather fun. But we'll start with, uh, you know, just the whole entire Cincinnati trip overall. Sox get a series win, second series win in a row. That's important. We haven't had many of those. Uh, in fact, it's the second of the season. So let's start with Friday. It was uh, it was a win for the White Sox, 5-4 style. Uh, Lynn was on the mound. Steve, uh, any takeaways from, from Friday's ballgame? Do I have any takeaways from Friday's ballgame? No, I don't because it was a Macintosh TV game. And um, at the local watering holes I was at in Scottsdale, Arizona, enjoying – Couple two tree cervezas. You, know, you were the, enjoying a, a Cinco de Mayo. It, it was Cinco de Drinco, so Cinco I had to I, I had to celebrate. You know, and the uh, the number of cervezas that was consumed is hashtag unconfirmed. Um, you know, multiple sauces have have reached out on the topic here, uh, so I didn't have the opportunity to see any of the game. Um, but you know, um, just looking at the box score, seeing some of the highlights, um, Luis Robert Jr doing that thing, you know, where he's now going to just go on a tear for seven to 10 days or so. Uh, that's always encouraging to see. And, uh, you know, a little come from behind victory right there. It's always, you know, a good way to get back in the left-hand column after they pissed away an opportunity to sweep those fucking shitbags from Minnesota on Thursday. Yeah. Thursday's ball game, Steve really left a bad taste in my mouth on that series. That was a winnable ball game. Um, and we've talked a lot about winnable ball games that the team should have won. And I, in fact, the middle game of this series is, is another one in that fashion. But uh, I thought Friday's game was pretty good. Um, I, I, I liked what I saw from Lance Lynn, six and two thirds. He did give up eight hits, walked four, but he did strike out eight. Um, so he sort of kept the socks in that baseball game, Steve. And for Lance Lynn, we, we've talked about him a ton on the show this year. Uh, whether or not he's cooked, you know, what his, you know, overall uh, ability is to put this team in the best position to win baseball games. Uh, he did get a lot of help from his offense and, and Luis Robert has really turned it around this week. I think um, you hit on something there just a second ago when you said, you know, Luis Robert's just going to go on this tear since the incident, the tired legs incident, he's looked like a completely different baseball player. Any further thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts on that. Um, it's fascinating how he looks as a baseball player when he's not automatically swinging at anything that gets within 57 feet of home plate. Um, I think today, you know, the matrix might have collapsed. We got a game where Luis Robert took two walks and Tim Anderson took a walk. I mean, three walks between the two of them in the same game. 
I, I don't know if we're in the nexus of the universe or if we're in the bizarro world, but you like to see that. And, you know, Nathan here makes a very good point. And this is why today I am irritated, Steve, because the Sox, despite winning five out of their last seven, they got me irrationally mad this week um, because of the fact you look at that game that they gave away on Thursday, game they gave away yesterday, and you add that to all of the games they gave away during the month of April. You know, so here they are right now sitting there 12 and 13, or excuse me, 12 and 23. Okay. So they're 11 games under 500. If they just win four more of those games, and you could even make a case that there could be five or six more of those games right there. If you're 16 and 19, yeah, you're still three games under, but that's a lot more palatable and you're in a much better position than where they're at right now to where we're having to think about and having to read articles from national writers like Boob Nightingale and Jeff Passett. Yeah, we're going to talk about this towards the end and we'll get into some details on that, Steve. But that's a just a big part of the reason why I am so irritated right now because those two games that they gave away this week yesterday included it's really been a microcosm of what this team has been so far this year and it just fucking pisses me off i would say the trajectory and the mood is a little bit better but those winnable ball games i i will give you that um that point there steve and you know we could be in a totally different situation even still on the, on the opposite end of 500 where we want to be where you're within striking distance right now and you sort of look at the month of may and the Sox have an opportunity to get themselves somewhat out of this hole. The schedule is going to get a little bit more difficult when it flips to June. So they've got a lot of work to do. You're going to need some series sweeps. Um, this was a very sweepable series. Uh, and so, same thing with uh, the Minnesota series. Could have been uh, a sweep there as well. So uh, I will take the series victories. I will take the victory beers because I like those. I think my mood on the team is a lot better than it was back in April. Um, but that said, there's, there's a lot of work to do here. There's a lot of work because of the crater they dug themselves into, um, few other notes from, uh, Friday's ball game, Steve, uh, you know, Hunter green, I, I like that we handed Hunter green a loss. That's a young pitcher. He's, he's struggled a little bit, but I thought he was going to give the Sox a lot more trouble and they were able to get to him, uh, in the, uh, in the fifth inning of that ball game and, and send him home with an L. I liked that. I figured that they were going to have a lot more trouble with him than they did. And it started to seem that way as they kind of cruised through the first four innings. Um, and then the offense showed up. So I was, I was nervous that there was going to be a hangover from that extra innings ball game that they played with the twins on Thursday. And as we settled into this game, I didn't really have a warm and fuzzy feeling about it until uh, I believe it was uh, Elvis Andrews who took uh, Hunter green deep and then, uh, you know, Robert Jr. adds on later. But just good to see the team sort of bounce back from a, a barn burner extra innings game than which they sort of just pissed a chance to win away. So I liked that. I don't know if you have any other thoughts. I No, I certainly agree with that. I mean, they're showing a little bit of resiliency and showing some signs of life here this week. Um, this was certainly a much more palatable week for this team versus what we had experienced the three or four weeks prior to that, that was just a abysmal in a, an abysmal malaise that was just leaving everybody 
surrounding this team, whether it's on twatter.com, um, the players in, in the clubhouse themselves, or just anything, the mood around this team was so dire and bleak that it was just a giant shitstorm. So to have a week like this where you come out and you win two series, that was pretty important. Um, you, We obviously can talk about and nitpick some of the things that they still need to clean up here, but it is a better alternative than where things had been previously coming into this week. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the key there is one of those series came within the AL Central Division, the AL Central Division leading Twins. I know how you feel about Minnesota. I think we all sort of feel that way about Minnesota. Would you like me to elaborate for our listeners how I feel about them? If you want to remind the listeners how you feel about Minnesota, I'll give you the floor here for. I, I think I think I can sum up my feelings on the state of Minnesota, the Twins franchise, and anybody who happens to you know have anything to do with that organization. Um, Three simple words would really sum it up. Fuck them twins. There you go. And that was that you, you got straight to the point there, Steve. Uh Sox then uh we'll move on to Saturday's ball game. Sox dropped this one by a final of five to three. Um sort of pissed this one away in you know they put up runs in three consecutive innings, uh second, third, and fourth, and then you give up, you know, three runs in the fifth. Sort of that same mantra of no lead is safe with this 2023 White Sox team, which is why today's ball game we'll talk about in just a minute here uh, felt sort of nice. But sort of that back and forth thing, Steve, that you've got going on with this team, had they been able to just hold this game or maybe leave the leave the yard again late in the ball game, you know, a couple of swings here and there string something together. They weren't able to manufacture anything down the stretch in this one. Yesterday's game was just sort of like, it gave me that feeling of if we lose this series, it's going to get bad again. Um, I didn't really like anything about yesterday's yesterday's loss, man. It was not exactly a, a great ball game to watch from a White Sox fan perspective, because we've seen that story so many times. I'm just glad it's bookended with wins, but overall, they should have been able to take care of Lodolo on the mound. I don't know what your thoughts are here. Seemed like it should have been a win for the Sox. Another one winds up in the outcome. Yeah, they they had some opportunities really to knock Nick Lodolo out of that game earlier and give themselves some more cushion. And then unfortunately, um, you know, as has been the issue with so many of the guys in the pitching staff this year, um, Mike Clevenger goes out there in an inning and, you know, gives up a base hit. And then the problem so often has been the walks and the timeliness of the walks and then what happens directly after them. Um, we talk all the time about the multi-home run strategy and ball go far, team go far. You know, Saturday was, you know, another example of that. I think they actually out-homered the Reds in that game, but – the Sox hit two solo homers. Yep. So, you know, the multi-run homers, that's that's a big thing. You know, if you hit more homers, yes, you're statistically 75% chance more likely of winning. But the Sox pitching staff is putting themselves in a bad position because they're walking so many guys in front of those home runs. So the Sox are hitting the solo shots and they're giving up two and three run homers. And that's how you lose a baseball game. 
I believe entering today, the Sox pitching overall was second in the league in walks issued. Yes. Um, That's not great, Bob. Only the Oakland Athletics have more issued more walks than Chicago White Sox pitching staff. But what's also interesting, and this is sort of something that goes to why we've talked about starters not going deep into ballgames, Steve. Walks, at-bats that lead to walks, thrown at least four, if not more, pitches. Strikeouts, on the other hand. The Sox also lead the league in strikeouts from their pitching staff. They're throwing a ton of pitches across the board. That's not just starters. That's bullpen included. When you're piling these things up, granted, I love the fact that the Sox pitching staff right now leads the league in strikeouts, but you have to at some point rely on your defense to get outs and get you through quick innings to protect protect your staff's arms, Steve, at some point. So on top of the walks, I look at the strikeout thing. If I want to you know, take a, a negative look at this like you, um, I'm going to put my Steve glasses on here for a second. That's a lot of pitches thrown by this White Sox pitching staff that are you know, not balls in play that leads to outs. There's not enough ball in play leads to outs here, um, and that's where you wind up with some of this stuff. Well, one of the things that I'm trying to do a little bit of digging on is when it comes to the strikeouts here, It to me, at least anecdotally, and just watching this team every night and, and not watching every other team around the league, maybe with this hyper-focused lens as we do with the Sox, it feels like the this pitching staff has what I like to refer to as inefficient strikeouts. So you can get that strikeout, but you get ahead of a guy 0-2, and then you and then he fouls off two or three pitches, and then you throw two or three pitches out of the zone. All of a sudden, now you're back at a two-two count, and you've already used seven pitches on this plate appearance here. So it feels to me, just again, as as an observer of this team on a night in night out basis, like they have more of those plate appearances than just about any other pitching staff in the league. Whereas you watch some of these other teams, you watch the Dodgers, you watch the Rays. They're striking guys out on three pitches, a lot of times four max. They're not having these elongated at-bats that are ending seven, eight, nine pitches ultimately to get to that strikeout. That's how you have those elevated pitch counts for your stars. That's how you have the starting staff this season consistently struggling to cover 18 outs. What do I talk about every fucking night? I need 18 outs out of my starters, and they're not doing it enough. Now, this past week here, they did a better job of that. We need to see that trend continue here. There are some reinforcements with the bullpen that should be coming in short order that could help to stabilize this thing, maybe to some degree. But if the starters can't consistently, and I'm looking at you, Dylan Cease, especially because you finished second in the Cy Young Award voting last season. All the talk coming into the season was him taking that next step to becoming one of the true upper echelon pitchers in the league. I need more than 15 outs to consider you one of those upper echelon pitchers in the sport. And he's not doing that for the very reason that I just outlined. And I, I would venture to say that 13 strikeouts don't really matter if he's only getting 14 or 15 outs for you, Steve. Yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, I, I need I need minimum 18 outs. Yeah, uh, you need some – you need some longevity out of these guys. Uh, just one comment in here. Um, the lack of, uh, you know, ability to work with runners in scoring position 
uh, drives Nathan nuts. I think it drives us nuts here on the show, Steve. Saturday's ball game, one for eight team with runners in scoring position. That's why I said there was nothing to like about this ball game because it's the same thing that we've seen day in, day out. Let's get to today's ball game. Much better uh, talking points throughout this one because it's actually fun, and that's the title of the show today. More runs, more fun. Sox are able to put up 17 runs today. All of it, you know, sort of starts here with the uh, the inning. Some are saying this is the best offensive performance by any Chicago sports team in the city of Cincinnati ever. I haven't heard that. that. I'm not I haven't heard that. that. Come, I haven't heard that come in through uh, you know my office here, but uh, you know, 17 runs in Cincinnati. Um, this will be one that uh, people will remember. The second inning, Steve, was the pinnacle of the White Sox offense. And what's interesting, and we'll get to some of the injury news, I'm just going to read you this White Sox lineup that was able to produce this. Tim Anderson, Andrew Benintetti, Andrew Vaughn, Luis Robert Jr., Hanser Alberto, Ronnie Grandal, Gavin Sheets, Elvis Andrews, and Sebi Zavala. Um, before this game, uh, there was a tweet that came out from NBC Sports Chicago White Sox talk. And uh, Steve, I believe that one's in the group chat uh, that was sent in there by you, Steve. Uh, Can you pull that real quick and uh, just read off the premise of this? Because I think it's important to set the table in order to have a seat at the table and talk about these things. Set the table, set the tone. Well, set the tone. You can set the tone for this. That's a better branding here for us. So thank you. That marketing degree is paying off. Okay. So... At uh, 2.41 p.m., White Sox talk tweeted that the White Sox core, consisting of Yoan Moncada, Yasmani Grandal, Tim Anderson, Luis Robert, and Aloy Jimenez, has played together in just 11% of possible games since 2020. Where, oh, where have I seen something like this talked about before, Anthony? Uh, you know, I, I feel like they might have been talked about on this airwaves and there might be something on a, on a website, Stephen, um, that, that also covers the Chicago White Sox. I believe it's called on Uh Can you hashtag confirm this? For it is hashtag double confirmed. Double confirmed. I love you it. You get that double confirmation. That's big. That is big. Big if true. Big news if true. As big, we know. Yes, very, very big. So. This lineup today obviously is missing some of those key names from the core. They're able to put up 11 runs in the second inning. And Steve, mind-blowing, mind-blowing to me to see this take place. Um, they were able to chase Ashcraft out of this ball game, I believe, somewhere along the way during it and then continue it. I believe nine runs came with two outs. Uh, just take me through this inning uh, from your perspective here. Well, it all started with my pick to click. Hanser Alberto going deep for the second time in the last three days. Now, it's been talked about that, you know, my decision to make him my pick to click today might have turned his very season around. A guy that has been very maligned, kind of been lumped in with Larry Garcia um, on the streets of Twitter.com of late. And Again, there are dozens, dozens on the interwebs saying that my choice of him as pick-to-click single-handedly turned this game around. It might have turned his season and career around. I'm not saying 
that's the truth. But I'm just saying what others happen to be saying. Well, you know, I'm not here to argue with the uh, the dozens of, of people in your mentions or, or DMs uh, talking about that. But uh, I will say the socks on tap pick to click department was working overtime today. Um, I'm pretty sure everybody wins except for Johnny. Pretty sure everybody wins except for Johnny here today. I believe I had Andrew Vaughn. Uh, there was a triple in that inning from Mr. Vaughn. Um, who, who did uh, who did Sean take today? Pull, you know, while we're on the subject of Andrew Vaughn, can, I mean, can you imagine what it must be like to have a first baseman that has like a, a slugging percentage lower than Nick Madrigal and being be, in being in the American League? Can you imagine what that has to be like? Would be rather bad. It would be yeah. rather bad. I don't yeah. I don't know if you're singling out a, a single player here, but I found it interesting <laughs> that there's a there's a couple of guys that have no home runs yet this season. Some big names. Andrew Benintendi gets talked about a lot here. Um, I know he missed some time, but uh, Mr. Timothy Anderson has yet to leave the ball yard. Um, it's been and almost then, 365 days for Timothy since he last homered. That's a problem for me. And that's not about, great. That's, we're going to talk about great. that one a little bit after this this offensive oh, explosion. Because okay, I then, got some other thoughts. <laughs> but then, yeah, this is going to be interesting, so stick around. Uh, the, the other guy is someone who I believe had the same amount of home runs as one Gavin Sheets last year, maybe just one more. Uh, and his name is Jose Abreu, and he plays for the Houston Astros now, and that's a pretty rough scene from a guy that's supposed to be hitting for power in the uh, almighty Astros lineup, Stephen. Yeah, you know, it's fascinating that Jose Abreu has a uh, has a weighted runs created plus of uh, – I saw, I saw this that he's at like 47 – for the year, his weighted runs created plus against left-handed pitchers, which he used to feast on notoriously, coming into today was negative 21. Oof. Negative 21. His slugging percentage is only about 10 points higher than Ken W.O.'s weight. So let that let that sink in, you know. It's not great, Bob. No, not great, no, Bob it's, at all. It's, it's really not. He's got four home runs since the all-star break last season and close to 450 plate appearances. Some might say you're in a decline if that's what you're putting up stats wise. And he's got a lot of protection in that order, but I digress. We're not here to talk about the Houston Astros all night. We just want to bring you some of the facts as, as Steve is doing. Big facts only guy. As everybody he's, knows. He's a big facts only guy. So we're just bringing you the facts, Steve. We, we need to talk about this 11 run second inning for the Chicago White Sox. I, we've set the tone on it. Um, you know, the lineup here and Hanser Alberto uh, goes for liftoff here uh, and and just absolutely clobbers one into left field. I've seen a lot of home runs go to the left field in Cincinnati. I know people have talked about it being almost like Coors Field. I've never been to the Great American Ballpark, Stephen. It's um, not great. It's, it's not great? No. Um, is it great for hitters, though? It seems to be, yes. Um, very, very hitter-friendly dimensions there, um, especially in the summertime because um, the Nasty Natty gets very humid in the summer. It's your classic Midwest river town there. Um, so I know in June of 2009 when I was there um, and I witnessed Gordon Beckham's first major league home run, um, it gets very sticky down there in the nasty net. And believe me when I tell you, it is nasty. 
Um, so that park is definitely a nice place to hit, especially when the weather warms up. And hit the White Sox did today. Uh, Steve, after, you know, we go just bombs away for Hanser Alberto, uh, there was a couple other guys who contributed to this. One of them being, you know, uh, somebody very near and dear to my heart, uh, went lift off onto the opposite field. That's Gavin Sheets with a mammoth shot, three-run shot here. You get some multiple home runs in the same inning. I think they sent 11 or 12 batters up there. It's that that's baseball porn for Steve. The, the multi-home run strategy. May, may, is, may, is I, may I? Go ahead. I have once again asked the White Sox to deploy the multi-home run strategy. There you go. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. This was this is the inning that dreams are made of. Sox were able to add three more in the third. Uh, they sort of went silent in the fourth, but uh, were able to add another crooked number in the fifth. Steve, this is a ball game you saw three innings of, of crooked numbers um, just piled the offense on. There's a ton to take away from this, but just knowing that the White Sox offense has the ability to do this is rather comforting because – in contrast to yesterday's ball game, where you're only you know doing the solo shot game, uh, the the way that the White Sox were able to hit with runners in scoring position today was wild. Eight for thirteen, and a lot of this came after two outs. So situational hitting, um, leaving the ball yard, everything that you can ask for an offense to do, this White Sox offense did today. It was insane to watch. I wanted twenty. I wanted 20 runs today because I'm greedy, but you cannot complain about the White Sox offense at all today. You can't. There's not a, the there's one, not a thing that I can complain about. The one thing that I found fascinating, and I Twittered about this, was during that second inning barrage. It's interesting when you look at this team, and they'll have like one of these games every two or three weeks where they're not just inherently swinging at every other pitch. And they're actually taking a couple of walks. They took four walks today, which four walks, still not a ton, but it's it's a more palatable number than what we typically see. And White Sox pitching only walked one batter on right. the other end of that. Right. So well. that so that's good. But you know, not it's not just the taking walks aspect of things. And I I feel like I talk about this pretty regularly. I think a lot of people get hung up on just the walk number. Another big thing about it with this team in particular and some of the guys in this lineup, it's taking pitches to get yourselves in a hitter's count where you can do damage on the baseball, not just going up there looking for that for that walk, getting yourself into that 2-0-3-0-3-1 count where you can just sit one pitch, one zone. If you don't get it, you take it fine. But if you get it, you swing out of your fucking shoes and you try to hit the ball to the moon. That's what Gavin Sheets did on a 3-0 exactly, count today. Exactly. Now, now, does anybody know if uh, Pedro Grafol had to apologize for, for Gavin swinging 3-0 in that circumstance when they were up big already? Have don't we care. Confirmation on that? No. Okay. Don't okay. don't I'm care. Just... Don't know. Don't care. But uh, I was I was glad to see that ball get absolutely launched. But that's but look, that's what this is about right here. You get yourself into those counts so that you can be dangerous in the batter's box, and we don't see that from this offense enough. No, when we do, no. like I said, we get one of these games every two or three weeks, and then they have this inning that that Friday night game 
in Tampa when they scored the, that six runs or whatever it was in the one inning when they took like four or five walks against Jalen Beeks there. They'll do this every once in a while and just tease you with it. And that's like they look like a normal functional offense that can be really dangerous. And then they follow that up by just going back to their free swing, hacking at everything ways. And that's what is so frustrating. I don't know if this is an organizational thing. I, I understand that, you know, we've got a new hitting coach. Um, Frank Mendicino has gone. But I feel like with this core group of players who some of them were not in the lineup today, Stephen, um, we've seen that story a lot. We've talked a lot about how having Andrew Benintendi in the two hole or even in, in the leadoff spot would benefit this team over it being Tim Anderson, Luis Robert, 1-2. Now, if you go and look at that lineup today, it's very interesting how these guys were lined up. Still TA in the leadoff spot, but Benintendi in that two-hole provided a vastly different look than what we've sort of seen Especially back if you go back and look at the Luis Robert slump days, he was consistently lined up almost in that two hole for a vast majority of this stuff. Moving him down provides him a little bit of lineup protection, provides him the ability to go out there and not try and get on base after a you know Tim Anderson two three pitch at bat that leads to an out because you're trying to set the table. I like Luis Robert in the, in a position where he needs to go out there and drive in runs. Um, Hanser Alberto obviously comes up big for the Sox today, but I liked the way that this was sort of lined up because I think Ben Intendi provides a good at bat. I think Gavin Sheets provides a good at bat. Yasmani Grandal provides a good at bat. Elvis Andrews, although he's not been great at the plate all season, he still goes up there and he's not swinging at crap all of the time. So you had some guys in this lineup today sort of spread across it that didn't allow Reds pitching to just work a quick inning. And that's where you see the offense is able to explode. So I will say, I like the way this was lined up. I thought it gave him a great chance to win. We'll see if it sticks. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think the idea of moving Robert down in the lineup, um, especially right now makes a ton of sense. So, you know, I feel like I've been pretty critical of Pedro Grifol and some of his lineup construction issues here in the last two or three weeks. Um, I think he's doing the right thing here right now by putting Robert in a position to be a little bit more dangerous, get himself right. Um, you know, I think he reached base, I want to say 11 or 12 times this weekend. And, you know, he's, I think since the benching, I want to say he's taken like maybe five or six walks since that happened. It's so we've been a different seen, plate approach. Yeah, we've seen a, a different, different plate, plate approach. And, and and that's, you know, a, a very encouraging sign. Hopefully that is something that will stick because we've seen these hot stretches before. Um, and when he goes on these, these heaters like this, I mean, he looks like one of the five best hitters in the sport and because he's just doing damage with consistency. Again, if he's able to go up there and take – pitches out of the strike zone and get himself into counts where he can be dangerous and do damage on the baseball. He's a dynamic player. We've seen that. And he's the kind of guy that can carry an offense. And for a team that 
you know, was going through a stretch where they were not scoring a lot of runs. If he goes on a heater like this, that's the kind of thing that can get a number of other guys rolling potentially as well. Well, and you can see it with the walks, Steve. You can see it with the walks. When he starts walking, it means he's being dangerous, um, not only from the sense that people are trying to pitch around him, but also he's not swinging at stuff that he shouldn't be swinging at and putting together a quality at bat. That's what we've asked for on this show numerous times um, is just quality at bats from Luis Robert. And I, I've been very, very happy with what I've witnessed take place since the legs were tired. I will call it the legs were tired incident for probably the remainder of Luis Roberts career because it was just so interesting the way that all went down. But overall he's putting the White Sox sort of on his back here with most of the other core, uh, not performing to where I would say they should be or not available. Um, that said, Steve, uh, we'll wrap this, this ball game up 17 for final um, any thoughts on Kopech's day? <sighs> yeah. Um, look, there's there's an issue here. The home runs are just too problematic at this point. Um, he did a better job today of pitching in the strike zone with more regularity and not issuing the walks, which has been a major problem for him here. But this home run binge that he has been on of late is not a very good sign. And really, he wasn't fooling many hitters today in the Reds lineup. And that is something that is really concerning for me. Um, as I as I watch him through this, you know, you go back and you look at that start Tuesday against the Twins, um, and Stone, you know, and Benetti were kind of talking about the same that they thought that, that was you know the best outing that he had had all season, and that still wasn't a great outing, in my view. Um, just the overall effectiveness and the regression from him to start the season here through the first five weeks is very concerning. And I know that there are a lot of people in some of the circles that I am affiliated with that are now really starting to think about and question, is he going to be able to stick as a viable major league starting pitcher? Because you can't keep going out there and giving up three, four home runs a game. Um, that's just not going to work. Now, granted, he was lucky today that they were all solo shots, but far too often this year he has gotten himself into trouble because he is walking one or two guys in front of him, and then all of a sudden that is turning into a two, three-run homer. They've got to get this thing figured out somehow here. And he's been another guy that at the you know you look at the very top of the show when I was talking about what I call the inefficient strikeouts. He's been a major, major culprit of that, letting guys back into at bats and either losing them entirely or having that 7-8 pitch uh, plate appearance before he's able to get that strikeout. And that's something that just has to get figured out here very quickly. So something interesting, I was uh, listening to the radio um, pregame show today before today's ball game, and um, they were talking about Kopech and you know the pitch mix, and this is something that you talk about all the time, um, and you've had a couple of really well-written articles on uh, specifically Lance Lynn and pitch mix and, and some of this other stuff. So I wanted to sort of bring this up today. Um, 
Kopech technically has four pitches in the arsenal. Obviously, the four-seam fastball and slider are his go-tos. But I didn't really know this until I went and looked at some data. Uh, he's effectively a two-pitch pitcher right now. Um, it's basically just fastball slider. Now, change-up curveball are also in the arsenal. But, Steve, so far in 2023, only 10% of his pitches are the change-up and curveball. Everything else, that's 90% four-seam fastball. And the slider, it's really easy by the second time, third time through the order for an opposing hitter to sit there and just sit on one of two pitches. Um, He's got to be able to work something like that in. Now, last season, 10% was just the curveball. He didn't even really rely on the changeup. In fact, he only threw 25 uh, registered changeups last year. Uh, he's above that so far this season, but overall, the early data is showing that he does not have faith in a third pitch here, Steve, and I think that's sort of hurting him. I looked at today's game through sort of a different lens. Obviously, the offense provided him the ability to sort of just work through everything um, with you know, so much of a grace period in terms of uh, you know runs on the board for him to work. I was impressed with the one walk. The home runs are still a problem. I'm okay with the solo shots and sort of just getting through sticks because effectively you're in mop-up duty at this point in time. You just have a lead to work with. As long as you're not walking guys and and giving up three-run bombs and letting another team get back into it, I thought he did a good job today. It's not the domination that I want to see because the fastball and slider work. We've seen it work. In fact, we've seen it work in the bullpen for the Chicago White Sox team back in 2021. He was very effective in in those short spurts. I still remember that start against the Yankees, I believe, from that same season uh, where you saw him working very effectively later on into a ballgame. But when I look at this data that I have right now, you have to mix something else in here. You can't be, I know a one-trick pony doesn't work here, but it's basically a two-trick pony. And MLB starters, you need to have a bigger pitch mix to work with and have that wipeout pitch. He doesn't have a wipeout pitch right now uh, when it comes to, because you could sit on fastball slider and both of those things, he's thrown them with velocity and he's had a couple of these sliders that just haven't slid I know Dylan Cease's poem. Maybe somebody's got to read it to him before he goes to bed, before it starts. So slide or slide. He's hung a couple of those, and that seems to be where people are going to just continuously light him up on their second or third at bat uh, through the order. So I, I don't know. I, the The long-term starter thing sort of scares me. I still think he has the stuff. I was happy with today's start, but there's, there's signs there, and I think that's sort of what you're getting to. Uh, when you talk about, you know, will he, you know, remain, you know, in the uh, in the starting rotation for a long time? The other thing that's a little bit concerning to me, Steve, and maybe it's not concerning to you, the changeups this year are coming in at an average of 88.4 miles an hour, whereas last year that was sitting at 85. So he's throwing them with a little bit more velocity. It looks more like the fastball. I think it's probably, you know, the the change in uh, distance between, you know, velocity in your fastball and your changeup, you know, maybe that little bit of extra velocity is sort of not working for him. I'd like to see, you know, what the, the results of these changeups and curveballs are. Maybe this is something that you want to dig into at some point, but there's something not right with the third pitch from Michael Kopech or even the fourth pitch here. 
uh, that's sort of alarming to me. I, I, I'm hoping that they're working on it. In fact, they did a video in spring training with Yasmani Grandal. Don't know if you remember this one, but it was Grandal and Grafol, or maybe it was Katz. I think it was Katz and Kopech on a bullpen session. They were talking to him about, you know, that changeup is looking great and everything. And now all of a sudden, you've only thrown it 33 times good for 5% of your pitches during the season. Why are we not working it in more? Yeah. So a lot to unpack here. Um, go back to last season and it was towards the end of the year. I would say it was maybe in August or early part of September. They were talking about the need for him to have a more stable third pitch that he could work in with regularity. And the changeup was something that was talked about more. And that was something that I had highlighted and said that if Michael Kopech was going to take his next step as far as being a high-end major league starting pitcher, that he was going to have to do that because there really are very few guys that can be effective major league starting pitchers and go through a lineup three and into a fourth time, really just being a two-pitch pitcher. The one, the most prominent one that I can think of, or, or the two most prominent ones, Randy Johnson and Johan Santana. And we we all live that Johan Santana nightmare for far too fucking Please long. Please don't bring that up yeah, on my yeah, Sunday I, fun yeah, day. Yeah, so moral of the story, though, is he absolutely needs to figure out what that third pitch is going to be because right now the predominant fastball slider combination is not working. And from a tunneling perspective, um, it's it's really giving the hitter enough of a variance Um to go up there. And the other thing too, is you talked about the uptick in his velocity on the change of this. You're going from 88 miles or excuse me, from 85 miles an hour up to 88 miles an hour. You couple that with the overall decline in his fastball velocity this year, the gap between those two has condensed a lot. And what's it, interesting, Steve is right now, at least according to baseball savant, it's up one mile an hour over the 94.9. Still close, but uh, we were sitting 97 in 2021, 97.3. Right. So the, the gap has closed. Yeah, and, and, and so there's just not enough of a band there to really keep the hitters off balance. And his changeup was such that it wasn't a pitch that was – movement reliant so it was more so just a change of pace for him and and if you shorten that velocity band with it there if there's only a five to six mile an hour various there's just not enough there really and they've been trying to talk about him working in that overhand curveball a little bit more whether it is that change up or that curveball something else needs to get utilized more frequently to keep the hitters off balance and give them a different look we're not getting that right now. And that's a big part of the issue with Michael Kopech. We'll continue to dive into this and then look at more data as it comes in. But I think that that was uh, well said, Steve, you know, the, those are just things that I was looking at today. Um, it, it's, it's sort of concerning. I think it's got enough time to work itself out, but there has to be a change made here. I think from both your and I perspectives, um, in order for him to take that next step. So um, excellent stuff. Uh, other than that, today's bullpen usage, Lambert, Middleton, Colomay closed this game out. Uh, not much else to talk about there. Um, and I saw your tweet about Colomay not being able to screw this one up. Um, I don't think that was the word I used. 
well, you know, for, for the sake of the, the listeners, why don't you, you know, paraphrase it the way that you had put it. Not even Alex Calumet could fuck that ninth inning up. Yeah. So there we are. I, I know how you feel about Alexander Calumet. We've got to call him by the correct name here, Stephen. Um, you know, he goes by his full name now. I thought you would respect something like that. I the respect goes, nothing about him. Well, yeah, you can take that up with Ken Will later on the Twitters. Steve, it was good to win another series, but we've got a bunch of other White Sox stuff to talk about here while we close this show down. Um, I hate this one. I hate this. I hate this. I know you hate this. It's not his fault, but we are going to be without Eli Jimenez for the near foreseeable future. Um, if you're just catching this news, uh, Eloy Jimenez underwent an appendectomy yesterday. I believe the initial uh, time frame given was four to six weeks. Um, I didn't see a jersey hanging in the White Sox dugout today for him, so I'm glad to know that he's still with us. Um, but uh, this is going to be a significant blow to lineup. Eloy's bat was heating up. Um, just very unfortunate circumstance here. Obviously, it's going to hurt our ball club uh, not having his bat in the lineup. That said, the boys came out today. It looks like they won one for him. Um, let's see if we can keep the positive momentum going. But uh, losing Eloy here is is not an easy pill to swallow. Steve, any initial reactions to the Eloy Jimenez appendectomy? Yeah, it just it's. Have you had an appendectomy? I have not. I have not. I have not. Um, I thought I did or, or was going to require one back in um, January of 2005, but it turns out it was just my first kidney stone. So lucky me, I guess. Um, Congratulations on your no, first. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Appreciate it. Um, but look, it just it sucks. And it's just a really unfortunate thing. There's nothing he can do about this. I saw some people on Twitter.com doing what people do on twitter.com trying to act as if this was somehow preventable on his front which is just the most absurd thing to even suggest you know someone's appendix bursting in the middle of the night they have no control over that um i mean with all the advances we have and all the technology we have in, in the medical field literally <laughs> you talk to a lot of doctors they'll tell you that an appendix bursting is just a random occurrence. It's it's a it's an organ or or, or it, it's something. What is it? We don't even it's, know. It's it's something in the body that isn't needed, and the only time you you realize it's there is when it bursts. I, I mean, you can't make this up. And but like again, for people to be out there trying to say that this is somehow his fault is just so laughably absurd, because of the fact that. He has dealt with all of these soft tissue injuries. These are not the same thing, people. Be serious here, for God's sake. All right? Like, just, you know, have some shred of human decency and some shred of common sense to realize that there is nothing a human being can do about their appendix bursting in the middle of the night. Okay. Yeah, this was, this was something that, you know, it sort of feels as if there's, there's two things at play. People are tired of Eloy Jimenez not being in the White Sox lineup, and I can respect that because we've had plenty of Eloy Jimenez not mm. in the White Sox lineup that's led this team into certain uh, circumstances that we've we've all been through together here over the last couple of years. But to me, it's I'm just glad he's healthy. I'm glad that he you know 
had the procedure done. Everything was taken care of. It seemed that the team was concerned about him. Um, you know, obviously they took him to the hospital uh, yesterday morning. Um, everything from my initial thought when, when I when I saw those comments from from Pedro saying that he had some uh, stomach irritations, I thought maybe he just ate some of that shitty Cincinnati chili. Yeah, you know, it, it, it could have been, it could have been so much better. It could have just been like gas or something, but. The initial thought here, severe abdominal pain, appendicitis, not a joke. Um, the fact that there's people out there that are talking about it as if he could have prevented it somehow, as you just laid out, is sort of unfortunate. Um, you know, it, it is unfortunate, though, in the same vacuum. Like I said, we've we've had a lot of missing Eloy Jimenez. I'm not going to tack this on his injury proneness. Um, that I still, you know, fully believe that he's injury prone the way that he handles himself in the outfield or runs to first base. I, don't let Rick Hahn hear that. There's, yeah, don't let Rick Hahn hear that. But on the on the grand in the grand scheme of things, the, it also falls underneath the that's so White Sox sort of mantra of things, and that's where a lot of people are frustrated. Um, but you're right; there's no way to prevent this from happening. Um, other White Sox injury news. We hope he like gets well soon. Other White Sox injury news. We're down at Jake Berger, um, oblique uh, at this point. Steve, I the the only update that I've seen on it is he's you know potentially going to take ground balls uh, tomorrow directly at him. He can throw fine. Still hasn't swung a bat. We're hoping that that one sort of cleans itself up. More positive injury news. Sounds like Yohan Moncada potentially is coming back tomorrow to start this series with Kansas city. Um, other than that, the big one, William Hendricks has been working down in Charlotte and that's things that we love to see. Um, I know that there's a minor note about Garrett crochet. He's going to take a little bit longer, I believe than, than most of the other guys here. But the, the real big one that I want to get to is Liam Hendricks. I know you foreshadowed this earlier on the show, um, he's a guy that could come help stabilize this bullpen. I want him back as soon as fucking possible. Um, just if the Sox have any, you know, shred of hope of getting through the month of May in a position to sort of claw themselves back out of what happened in April, I think Liam Hendricks can play a big part of it in the latter half of May, Steve. Uh, very positive to see him out there throwing the ball down in Charlotte and getting his work in. Yeah, that's definitely great to see obviously first and foremost Liam being healthy and beating uh the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma that he did and just in the time frame that is I mean here we are it's May 7th and you know there's a possibility we might see him next weekend when this team comes home like they talked that's about, what I was that's what they, I was thinking. they talked about four or five appearances and you know him uh, and I say this in in the most endearing way possible he's an absolute fucking lunatic he doesn't there. want to pitch down in Charlotte it's, for exactly, two weeks exactly. he wants to get back here and help this ball club exactly and and so I I say that as a term of endearment he's a fucking lunatic and you knew that this guy was going to come back from this thing and was going to beat the projections on, on the time frame for here, but to even be at this point to where it could be May 12th and he could be entering the game with the strobe light little entrance next Friday against the Houston Astros, 
Holy shit, man. That is absolutely insane. I mean, you know, we talk about things, goosebumps thinking about that. We talk about things being cinema. You know, we yeah. talk about this is cinematic. cinema. How, how cinematic would it be if he comes in to the game in the ninth inning next Friday, Sox have a one run lead and he strikes out slap dick Jose Abreu to end the baseball game. I knew where you were going, and that's exactly what I want to have happen, Stephen. Yep. That's that's exactly what and I want. It'll, and it'll make Ken cry like the little bitch that he is. I I just I want Liam Hendricks back in that bullpen as as soon as possible, and I think he wants to be there too. It'll be great to see. That's your White Sox injury update moment. One um, other thing I want to add on, on, yeah, on, go ahead. on to that, Anthony. So we talked about Yohan Makata and you know, kind of the, some of the speculation about him maybe being with the team in Kansas City tomorrow. I want to caution people on this year with the disc protrusion that he is having. I spent, you know, a lot of time over the last seven to 10 days here talking to a couple of those spinal surgeons that, that I work with about this. And they have all kind of individually told me here that this is the type of thing that has a high level of recurrence. So mm-hmm. while things may be trending in the right direction right now, he could go out there have a couple of games where, where everything is fine. And then if he has to make a diving play at third base, or if he has to slide to evade a tag, the smallest minor things could re aggravate that. And then we could see a situation where he might be down three or four days because of it. So, and he's another, and I, would, that, I would caution this too, Steve, we've seen the white Sox do this especially with Yohan Mankata as it led up to this. There's a couple of day period here, and I'm not a doctor. You've talked to some of these doctors, and I think we should get one of these doctors on the show to sort of work through this. But the way that my mind works is when that happens inevitably, there's going to be two or three days where people are going to be on Twitter.com saying, why are we playing a guy short because he can't play? They don't know. They don't know if he needs an IL stint. They don't know if it's going to need – uh, you know, medical procedures to be done on it. It's sort of that you're stuck in injury hell with something like this. When I heard protruding disc, I believe I texted you immediately and said, hey, we've got to look into this because it's going to be more than just, all right, now he's better and he's good and ready to go. Sorry, I cut in here, but that's I, I just foresee this being a problem maybe once or twice more throughout this season and potentially yeah. down the road. Yeah. And and one of the spinal surgeons that I work with pretty closely and I, I had a pretty extensive conversation with him about this year. He said the, the thing that is the most concerning aspect of it is the fact that there is pain radiating down the leg. Um, that when you have something symptomatic like that, that is the type of thing that even for a late twenties physical peak performance athlete that is the type of thing that has a high level of recurrence when you do have other symptoms like that and and when you have a tingling sensation going down into your legs that's the type of thing that could be problematic from a long-term perspective so just as you talked about and i was going to touch on that exact point here is you know what's going to happen there's going to be that that period of time where twitter.com is going to do what it does with yohan mankata and look a fair amount of this is self-induced because of some of the things that he has done throughout the course of his career and just, you know, seemingly every couple of days, he's out there wincing, going down the first baseline or after a swing. So there's just negative stigma that surrounds him with this. But we know that there is something severe in there right now. 
And the small, like I said, the smallest, most minor thing could potentially re-aggravate that. So people use some fucking caution with this and think before you hit that tweet button. Okay. Steve has warned you now. Steve, Steven has warned you. Um, I want to get into something before we close the show, Steve. I think we did a wonderful job recapping the White Sox injury update here. Um, but we we touched on this earlier. It's Tim Anderson talk time. It is Tim Anderson talk time. Now, there was an injury at the end of last season. There was an injury at the beginning of this season. Not to roll this in from the injury segment. Tim Anderson is by all means healthy. He's playing on the major league roster right now. It has been far too long since this guy has left the ballpark. And right now his batting average is nowhere near where I want it to be. I believe he's sitting there around 260 something. That's not the Tim Anderson that I know that's guaranteed a leadoff spot in this batting order. Yes, this team has turned it around since he's come back. But I heard a radio caller call in on Thursday after the White Sox had pissed away the opportunity to sweep the Minnesota Twins. And Tim Anderson had two chances within that ball game to drive in a winning run. And so I understand there was some level of frustration with Tim Anderson there, but this sort of stretches over a larger period of time for me. I'm starting to get to the point where the White Sox have dropped the change the game marketing scheme that I believe came from Tim Anderson. The White Sox have also sort of just continuously also utilized him in the leadoff role for a very long time. Yes, he's a great hitter. Yes, he knows how to work the ball to right field, and that's where he makes a ton of his money. But that show is getting a little stale for me. I don't know if it's getting stale for anybody else out there. What happened to bat flips? What happened to change the game? What happened to Tim Anderson doing more than hitting singles into right field and then not producing in clutch moments? Like, where is this, Steve? You and I were in a cornfield. And we watched Tim Anderson lift the ball over a fence. It was one of the most exciting White Sox victories that I've ever witnessed in person. Where is that right now? Because it feels like it's been gone for a longer time and no one is talking about it. In fact, I'm still hearing the Sox go as Tim Anderson goes. And maybe it's just recency bias over the past stretch of a week here but I really don't think he had a great series here in Cincinnati. In fact, I think his first hit came yesterday uh, in the later innings. Isn't really moving the needle much, at least for me right now at this moment. Why is this not being talked about? It's not being talked about because he has been the face of this organization and he's been, you know, very outspoken. Um, to your point, I had some very heated discussion on Twitter.com last night and into today on this very topic. Um, again, kind of centering around some of the talk 
about him being available here because of this team's poor start. And I had people in my mentions tell me, oh, you, uh, they're not going to trade Tim Anderson. They're going to extend him. He's going to be the first $100 million player in this franchise's history. So let's think about this right now. Tim Anderson turns 30 on June 23rd. He has one year left, one more option left after this season. So by the time Tim Anderson would be eligible for free agency, he would be going into his age 32 season. What makes anybody out there believe that Jerry Reinsdorf, the bane of my existence, is going to give a soon-to-be 32-year-old shortstop a nine-figure contract, one that is struggling to stay on the field with regularity, but even when he has been on the field, has been in a decline himself, as you talked about here. You talk about the lack of power, and you talk about the being a singles factory. Let's think about this. 2019, he wins the batting title. Okay, has the highest batting average in the league, and I know a lot of people want to discount batting average and everything. And I, I still I, think that's an incredible accomplishment. It, it 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 is. But you know what else was awesome that year? He slugged five oh eight. Okay, I like I like when a guy's slug starts with the number five. That's pretty good, especially at the shortstop position. You yeah. know what he did that in twenty twenty in 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 the Mickey Mouse COVID season. He had a career high slug five twenty nine. Okay, 2021. Keep going. Went down to 469. So he lost 60 points on that slug from the year before. 2022, 395. And as after today's game, we're at 338. That ain't going to get the job done here. Okay, a 316 on base with a 338 slug. That's not going to get the job done. I don't know where. People think that is worthy of a nine-figure contract for a guy that would be 32 years old at the start of the deal here. Maybe on some other planets it might be, just not on this one and not with this fucking owner. No, I'm, I'm right there with you. And there's a lot of factors that play there. There's a lot of factors that – Tim Anderson's a very well-liked guy within you know the White Sox community, um, has been the face of the franchise here for, for quite some time. But I'm just sitting here looking at it. You know, it, Andrew Benintendi hasn't had the greatest of, of starts to his White Sox career. Noodle but, boy? Yeah, whatever you want to call him. Uh, they're both hitting 268, and I think one takes a lot better of an at-bat than the other one at this point in time. I don't think that's arguable. And if neither of them are going to hit a home run, what's the fucking difference for me? What's the fucking difference? Why are you going to go give him more money? And lock him up for a $100 million contract? How long are you going to sign him for when you have Colson Montgomery in your farm system? And he's one of the only sparkling things that's down there, and he's injured right now too. Yeah. And there's he's questions about him. White Sox. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not trying to sit here and say Tim Anderson is bad at baseball. He's not. But I don't. But Tim Tim is a Tim is a big part of the reason why they're in the spot that they're in right now, and he's a big part of the reason why last year went the way it did. We keep seeing we see those graphs all the time. I know I saw no one is Steve. No one's saying that. What you just said right there. No one's fucking saying that. No one's saying that. The guy has operated with complete immunity to a lot of this. That's the first time I've heard that said on like airwaves 
on any of these shows. And, and, and if I've missed somebody else say it, I apologize. I'll give you credit for it. But that that to me is sort of like that, like, wait a second, let's look at this. His production is nowhere near where it needs to be for this team to be successful. And yet every single time he gets injured and comes back to the lineup, it's like, oh, my God, everything's going to be fine now. Tim Anderson's back. And I'm looking at him being back. And, yes, we're winning ball games, And some of that's by happenstance because really two hits in this series. I know he scored two runs today. It was a, it was a better ball game for him. I need extra base hits. I need a, an occasional home run. 15 home runs in a season for Tim Anderson should not be a problem. It should not be a problem for him to get to. I don't No, no it shouldn't be. 15 home runs and and 40 doubles. I mean at, at least I mean I'm just I'm trying to pull up here and and look at some of his double totals. I mean oh, oh, okay, okay. So granted his high mark in doubles in a season was 32, but he's been consistently a 25 to to 29 double guy. Okay? What are I we mean, on pace for this season? Right now he's at 5. Okay? But those are his only five extra base hits. Yeah, that's okay. it. You go, you go back to, to 2019, you know, he had 50 extra base hits. You you have that 50 extra base hits, and you couple that with his efficiency stealing bases as well. He's one of the most efficient base stealers in the game, and he has been since he came into the league. People always think that stealing bases is about speed because they see, you know, Billy Hamilton – and, and just his blinding speed and the weapon that he can be. But there are a lot of guys out there that have really good speed that are not good base stealers. Yohan Mankata is the guy that comes to mind. Yes. You know, there are, there are plenty of other guys that have been in White Sox uniforms. Adam Eaton was a fast guy that – I believe I believe if we go back to MVP baseball 2005 or or six or somewhere great around game, in there, great game. Yeah. you remember they used to put like the 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 like the cleat icon next to fast guys. Yeah, Alex Rios used to have a a, a a cleat icon next to him as being a fast guy. I remember him getting caught in so many of yeah. these just terrible jumps. Tim Anderson gets great jumps. Yeah, he he gets great jumps, and he is very instinctive out there on the base paths. So, you know, for him, being able to steal third base is a thing that he has done very efficiently throughout the course of his career. But again, just him being out there on second base opens up at bats tremendously more for whoever is hitting behind him, whether it's Andrew Benintendi, Andrew Vaughn, Luis Robert, Aloy Jimenez when he's back in the lineup there. It makes this team more dangerous because now he's adding that other dimension of his base stealing efficiency out there, and he's already in scoring position. We see how well he's able to go second to home, first to third. Being able to do those things, again, creates a level of chaos out there on the base pass and an added dimension for this White Sox offense that we're not seeing right now. But you're right. Tim needs to go back to being that guy, being that fire start, being that catalyst at the top of the order that, you know, you groove that first pitch fastball right down the cock. He's going to nuke it onto the Ryan. Where is that then? 
We need that guy back. Absolutely missing right now from this White Sox line. And that would make this team so much more dangerous. I don't understand where it's sort of falling apart. Um, But I haven't really heard a lot of people talking about it. And it seems that when you do, if you try and bring this up within certain White Sox circles, you're immediately shut down as no, he's fine. He's good. I hear, I've heard so many people talk about how Andrew Benintendi hasn't hit in a home run yet this season. And there's enough people who are willing to dump on Jose Abreu, ourselves included, for not being able to leave the yard. Tim Anderson's in that club too. He should be facing the exact same levels of scrutiny for guys that are unable to hit a home run yet at this juncture of the 2023 season. And I know he's missed some time, but a lot of people have missed time. You would think that a guy who people want to award a hundred million dollar contract to at this point, would at least have one, if not two, maybe three. It's concerning. I can't can't give nine figures to a guy whose slug starts with a three. That's a non-starter in my baseball world. If that, for some reason comes to fruition, Stephen, I would hope that from the point where we've had this discussion right here today, things turn around and there's a chance that we're going to go and, and, and watch white Sox baseball for the next week. And Tim Anderson's going to hit like three or four home runs. Good. And we'll be happy. Good. But that's what we need to see. Cause right now, and I know we've gone a little bit over our hour here, but I felt like this was an important way to talk about, what we're witnessing with Tim Anderson on the Sunday Funday show, because I'm not getting everything that I need to from this ball player. I don't, and it seems like you're not either. Um, and I'm sure that there's other people out there who've probably tried to say this and have met the same sort of resistance that, uh, you know, you sort Look, of get nobody you try on and this suggest that Tim Anderson isn't having the best season uh, or, the last two seasons, you you pointed out a lot of points about his decline, so to speak. Um, and you know, you look at a stock chart, that thing's going down. Um, you don't like stocks going that way. No, it needs to go the opposite way. Yeah. Um, no player on this roster, not a single one of them, should be immune to criticism at this point over their performance because collectively none of them have been good enough. None of them. Andrew Vaughn. I talked about this. I wrote this in the off season. The slug has to start with a five. It's not, he's not been good enough. Noodle boy in left field, who was the highest paid player in the franchise history, not doing enough offensively. He's a little slap hitter that you've given. He's 75 come up, he's come up clutch in a couple of spots. That's, past, that's, which that's I really fine. like. That's that's fine. I need more extra base hits. I need more slug. Period. Okay. Yasmani Grandal has started to get going here. We're seeing better at bats coming out of him. Luis Robert, we're seeing this out of him now here over the last four to five days. How long this is going to continue, how long the plate approach is going to stay sound the way it is now, where he's giving himself into positive accounts and even taking his walks. That's going to be interesting to watch to see how long that is going to go on for. But as a team here, collectively, they need to drive the baseball more. They need more slug. And nobody, none of them, should be free from criticism. I don't care how long they've been here. I don't care how much they're getting paid. They haven't been good enough. That's why they're in the fucking hole that they're in. Fair is fair. 
we'll try and maintain that on the show, Steve, for the remainder of the season. And that's one of the reasons I love doing this is we'll have some open, honest discussion about what's really taking place. Steve, I don't have much else. This is an excellent Sunday fun day. Sox win, blowout fashion. Probably the, the biggest blowout fashion that we've seen from this team in, in quite a long time. Um, victory beers taste great. Any final thoughts before we close shop here on, on Sunday fun day and, and move on with the rest of our evenings? Five out of seven. That's that's a, a positive movement. Has it helped you? Has it helped your, your your mental state? It has it has helped my mood, yes. But as I said, I'm irritated in the sense of thinking now about all the games that were given away, just you know, the two this week, but then going back looking at the ones during the month of April. Because if you put some more of those in the left-hand column, all of a sudden the mood and everything around this team is just different than the spot that we're in right now. So I can't help but get that out of my mind here. But it is Pedro Grafoil told you to flush those. Yeah, well, I got some things I would like to tell Pedro Grafoil personally, but we'll save that for another day. Um, it's positive momentum here. The thing that I we have to see happen here and we cannot afford to see happen now is a letdown going into Kansas City the team that has the second worst record in the American League. They don't have double-digit wins yet. You have to go in there, and you have to kick them in the fucking nuts now. You've got to find a way, whatever it takes. You've got to get at least three out of these four. If you could find a way, if there was ever a time to go to Barbecue City and get a sweep, this would be the time. But you have to go in there, and you have to find a way by whatever means necessary, to get three out of these four games coming back home next weekend. Got to pick to click for tomorrow's ball game, Steve. Um, I am going to go ahead. Let's see. You know what? I'm going to take Noodle Boy, making his return there to, to Kansas City. Um, You know, Pedro Grafol, you know, going back there against his uh, former employer. I think the two of them, um, you know, obviously probably have a little bit of intel on the Kansas City organization and, and some of their processes there. So who knows? You know what? Maybe maybe Noodle Boy will actually find a gap in that big outfield that is there at Kauffman Stadium and maybe at least hit a triple. I'm not expecting him to leave the ball yard here, but at least give me something. I like the Benintendi pick. Uh, you actually stole that from me. Um, I'm not – I haven't looked at starters yet, but I would assume Gavin Sheets will be back in the lineup after finding the launch codes today. So it's and, it's Zach Granke on the mound for the Royals tomorrow. I know that. Okay. You know I'm, tem- I'm, tem- I'm tempted. I'm tempted to say that with with it being in Kansas City and in the big outfield that is out there, I would think we would probably see Adam Hazley in right field. Um, yeah, maybe that's what I'm, maybe that's what I'm maybe you get Gavin Sheets. Maybe you get Gavin Sheets DHing. One, you know, I think Yaz is going to be firmly planted in the DH spot. There was a I, note I about too. there was a note about him having some issues. I think that was also back related, but he's fine to swing, just not catching. So you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna swap this over to Yasmani Grandal. I'm hoping he's in the lineup. I'm hoping that Yohan Moncada is back and Carlos Perez is back on a flight to Charlotte. That was a one day thing. 
I would think yeah. I would think that would be uh, Lenine going back down to Charlotte. You think they're going to carry three catchers for a little while here? Yeah, I, I I do. I think it's far more likely that they would send Lenine back down because you know you've got my guy that I turned around, Hanser Alberto. There, there's a redundancy issue um, at that point, and Fair. I think yep. you, you know I just think that makes the most logical sense at this point. Probably does. I forgot that Lenin was back on the roster there for a brief moment, but that does that does check out the math. There seems to check out. I'm gonna go Yasmani Grandal. He 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 looked pretty good at the plate today. Um, I want him to put one in the fountain. You want to see a bat drop, don't you? I do want to see a bat drop. I do. That would that would be visually pleasing to to watch. It is. It, it certainly is. I agree. Absolutely. Well, Steve. We're almost at the hour 20 mark. We're going to shut this thing down. Thank you to everybody who tuned in. Happy Sunday, fun day. Hope you enjoyed a White Sox victory. Thank you for spending an hour and 20 with us. Steve, it's always a pleasure to talk about a White Sox winner. We'll get out of here in just a second. Before we do, make sure you head on over to the ONTAP Sportsnet YouTube. That's youtube.com slash ONTAP Sportsnet. Follow the show on Twitter at Sox on Tap. You can follow Steve at NWI underscore Steve. Myself, at Tony on tap, we'll be bringing White Sox content to you throughout the rest of the season. We'll be back tomorrow with a post-game show. Steve, White Sox forever. White Sox for life. <laughs>